Great. So in this third talk, well, uh, fifth, fourth talk rather, we'll be addressing the harms of pornography to children. Uh, the goal of this talk is really to raise your awareness of the threat that online pornography poses to your children and to our civilization. Now, at the, off, at the outset, I should say, we're not addressing the spiritual harms of pornography, which are more real and more significant, but I assume we are, we're already aware of those things largely. I could talk about uh, the decline in interest in religion and things of God that is directly correlated to pornography consumption. I could talk about the patterns of deception and lying uh, that go alongside sexual sin and especially pornography. We could talk about the hardened consciences that result from uh, persistent, unrepentant sexual sin. All those things are true. That's not necessarily what I'm focusing on this talk. This is looking more at data and studies uh, to, to, to look at the, the harms caused to children, to their brains, their development uh, from pornography use. I'll be walking through four points. What is pornography? How prevalent is pornography? What are the effects of pornography? And how should parents respond to pornography? Those are four points. Again, what is pornography? How prevalent is pornography? What are the effects of pornography? And how should parents respond? And there may be parts in this talk that are quite explicit. I'll be describing things that are very unpleasant and hard to think about. But I think it's important that we understand as parents what is out there. In the case that, just as Ben was talking about, in case when our kids do encounter it and they come to us, uh, we know, we, we're, we're better prepared at how to respond. First question, what is pornography? This may sound like an obvious question, uh, but it is in fact not. The fact is that pornography, the nature of online pornography is very different today than it has been in the past. You know, it, it would be the case 20 or 30 years ago, you hear pornography, you think of a crinkled up magazine that a teenager gets out of a trash can and hides under their mattress. That's not what we're talking about anymore. We're talking about mass-produced, high-quality, portable, private, realistic, free, unlimited, and increasingly obscene videos that are available to anyone, anywhere, at any time, in privacy, uh, right in the palm of their hand. So I'm going to walk through six aspects of what I call the new porn, which is the, the pornography that we're primarily encountering today to describe this. So six aspects of the new porn. First, it is portable. It is more portable than it has ever been before. First through laptops and high-speed internet, then through the iPhone. You don't have to go to a store to find it. Uh, you can just have it with you at all times. That means that porn is also more private than it has ever been before. So it's portable. Second, it's private. Uh, you can access it anonymously without anyone ever knowing. You don't need to risk so social ostracization by going to a CD store. Uh, you just retreat to the privacy of your bedroom, bathroom, or basement. Third, uh, pornography, the new porn, is realistic. It more closely resembles real life than has ever been possible in history. I'm not talking here about real life in its content, but in its quality. It's high definition. It's larger than life, it's up close, the sound effects, all the things that create the experience in someone watching it of mimicking or participating in the act itself are present through the new porn. For many, pornography is becoming more real to them than the real life thing. So you could think of, of how with music, you might think that the best way to experience music is by putting on your earbuds and listening to the song. Actually, the best way to, to experience music is by going to a concert. 
You can't recreate the experience of a concert. That's what God's created sex within the covenant of marriage between a husband and wife to be like. It's the real thing. And we have people today who don't, aren't aware of the real thing. They think that the substitute is the real thing. Pornography is the real thing rather than what God has created to be the real thing. Uh, next, pornography is free. For the first time in history, porn is virtually free, uh, which comes with a very serious problem. The fact that you don't have to pay to access it means that there is very little to bar children from accessing it. They don't need a parent's credit card. They don't need to go to a store and have money. There's no receipt trail. It also means that there's no built-in restraint mechanism. So uh, a historic disincentive has been the cost. Uh, just how a junkie who's addicted to drugs can only do a certain amount of drugs before they run out of money or overdose. The problem with porn today is that you never run out. The only limiting factor is the number of hours in a day. That leads to the fifth aspect. It is unlimited. The, the supply of the new porn is virtually unlimited. Again, like a, unlike a drug, the supply of porn is uh, essentially unlimited. The numbers are staggering. Today, three porn websites rank among the top 20 most visited sites. Three in the top 20. One is among the top 10. Two are ranked higher than Amazon.com. Three are ranked higher than Netflix. For every second you watch porn, a minute of new pornography content is already being uploaded. The question is, how do you decide what to watch? And that leads to the final aspect, obscene. Sixth and finally, the new porn is increasingly grotesque, vulgar, and obscene in ways that have never been witnessed by mankind. You would have had to go to Sodom and Gomorrah, or ancient Rome, or the gay brothels of Paris to see the kinds of things that anyone can pull out on their phone today. And it's just horrifying. The, the genre and content of pornography is rapidly changing as a result of a process that I'll get into called desensitization. Essentially, people are being desensitized through ongoing exposure to pornography to be unable to respond unless there's an escalation in content. And that leads to uh, increasingly grotesque and obscene um, genres of pornography being available online. Things like rape porn, bestiality, incest, transgender pornography, sadomasochism, the list goes on. It is increasingly shocking, and the sad trajectory is that it's only going to be continuing. And it's hard to imagine how it could get worse, but that is the trajectory. Which leads us to the question, how prevalent is this? Uh, surely this isn't prevalent. And the truth is, and here's what I want you to take away from this point, you have to assume that your children, boys and girls, will encounter this or already have. It's just not safe to assume anything else. Like Ben was saying, we need to come in prepared. And I would say, especially assume that your boys and girls will see this or are likely to see it before they turn 13. The prevalence of porn uh, varies widely in studies, but I'll give you a few numbers. A study of university students found that as teenagers, 93% of boys and 62% of girls had seen internet pornography. 93% of girls, 62% of girls in adolescence. And that study comes from 2008. So that was all before the smartphone. So we can only imagine that 14 years later, it's even worse. The researchers in 2008 said that the 
the degree of pornography, the degree of exposure, and deviant sexual activity before 18 was of particular concern. And that was coming out of the University of New Hampshire. How much worse is it today? A nationally representative survey from 2016 found that 64% of young people ages 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. And what we need to recognize here is that whereas historically we've looked at porn mainly as a male phenomenon, that's no longer the case. And that's especially true for girls born after 1997, so-called Generation Z. They've come of age during the age of the iPhone. And through social media and other channels, girls are increasingly being exposed to pornography. A 2016 study found that 76% of 18 to 30-year-old women say they view pornography at least once a month. 21% say they view it several times a week. And there's a generational gap here, because if you compare those numbers of 18 to 30-year-olds to 50 to 68, uh, they don't even compare. Uh, women ages 50 to 68, 0% uh, report viewing porn weekly. 4% view it uh, monthly. So there's a massive divergence generationally, which creates the additional problem of shame. If you're a woman struggling with pornography, you're especially more likely to feel shame added to the already severe consequences of it, because you don't feel like there are people you can talk to about it. Uh, it's, it's supposedly a male phenomenon. So as women, we, uh, for, for the women here, I would encourage you to be aware of this and not to assume that girls, young girls, uh, not to assume that they aren't watching it, and to be the kind of person who they could come and talk to about it because of that shame factor. When it comes to first exposure, numbers likewise vary widely. Um, the median age is usually around 13 for boys and maybe slightly older for girls. Um, but again, that varies, and it's only getting younger. A 2018 survey found median age for exposure for boys was 12. We asked a counselor when girls usually have their first exposure to porn, and she said as soon as they get their first phone. That's what she sees. As soon as they get the first phone, they have their first exposure. So what are the effects of pornography? We've talked about uh, the, what pornography is. What are its effects? Uh, there are a number of things we could say here, but I'll focus especially on soaring rates of addiction, a rise in sexually permissive views, uh, the rise of transgenderism, alarming rates of erectile dysfunction, even among teenage boys, and unprecedented rates of depression. It's hard to prove causality in anything, but all these things are happening at the same time. We've talked a little bit about the damage to the brain that occurs through social media. This is especially the case with pornography. Uh, Claire's mentioned um, dopamine and dopamine receptors. She's mentioned the, pre the prefrontal cerebral cortex, which regulates self-control. All these things are severely damaged by porn exposure. Uh, through the process of habituation, the brain is actually being rewired uh, in order to incline you more toward more porn and to, to take away the, the internal sources of inhibition. You know, this isn't like a drug like marijuana. You know, some parents might say, well, I'm not gonna be able to keep my teen from having a little bit of marijuana. You know, what's the big deal? It's not that deadly. The new porn is more like meth. You don't use it and stay the same. It's gonna affect you, and there's no way to avoid that. So the process of addiction that accompanies pornography use comes in four stages. I'll mention them briefly. The first step is sensitization. 
Sensitization refers to cues and cravings, where everyday activities that are normal for someone, uh, you're especially sensitive to being able to access porn through them. So this would be like an alcoholic, not being able to look at a glass of wine without wanting to take a drink. Sensitization means that if you habitually access pornography, even being alone in your room or holding your iPhone will begin to produce irresistible cravings for pornography. And this leads to step two, desensitization. So if sensitization means you're oversensitive to cues, desensitization means you're unable to achieve the same degree of stimulation or arousal apart from escalation. So this is like a, a drug user who can't get the same high unless he moves on to stronger and stronger drugs. Similar things happen with pornography. And there are only three ways to escalate. Frequency, duration, and genre. Frequency means you are watching pornography more often. So instead of weekly, it's daily. Instead of daily, it's three times a day. Duration is another way to escalate porn use. Duration means that you're watching porn for greater and greater lengths of time. I was talking to Claire about this, and she was surprised uh, that the duration could be longer than a few minutes. And I explained to her that men that I counsel struggle with all-night binging, literally starting at 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. the next day, nonstop. Maybe they try to get a couple hours of sleep before going into work, or they watch all night, and then they go into work, and they're exhausted. Sometimes they call in sick, say, I can't go into work today, I'm sick, and the binge continues throughout the day. Uh, this is the level of addiction seen even in people who are trying to fight it. And you wonder why boys are underperforming in school. You wonder why there's uh, just a decline of men in general that we're seeing. No one seems to be asking if porn has anything to do with it. You know, with, uh, the thing is with drugs, as I've mentioned, eventually you run out or you overdose. It just doesn't happen that way with porn. It just keeps going. Third step in the process of porn addiction is the loss of self-control. Claire already covered this a little bit, so I won't uh, repeat too much. All I'll say is that every time porn is accessed, the impulse control mechanism to say no gets weaker. And it's like a wagon on a muddy road. You know, those wheels go down and the rut gets deeper and it gets harder and harder and harder to get out. And in children, as we've mentioned, their impulse control system is less developed. Uh, kids don't fully finish developing the prefrontal cerebral cortex until age 25. Uh, so all the damage is just all that more severe. The fourth step in the addiction process is a malfunctioning stress system. And that's a technical way to refer to withdrawal. So someone who isn't, who is trying to escape from a porn addiction, they're trying to come out of it, or just haven't used in a while, they will show uh, symptoms typical of a drug user experiencing withdrawal. They'll show anxiety, depression, insomnia, irritability, mood swings. Those are good symptoms to look for, uh, particularly in, your t in teenagers. Now, you might think, well, those things characterize all teenagers, and that's true. But uh, it's particularly good to look for those symptoms in someone who might be struggling with a social media or pornography addiction irritability, mood swings, depression, insomnia. Those are the aspects of porn use that are uh, related to addiction. I'm going to keep moving on. Other effects we see from porn use uh, include warped sexual views. Um, 
we've seen a massive rise in the United States in people identifying as LGBTQ. So uh, studies show that one in five Gen Z adults identify as LGBTQ. That's something that was pretty much unheard of decades ago. One in five. A quarter of Harvard University's incoming freshman class identifies as non-binary. So LGBTQ or something. A quarter of Harvard University's incoming freshman class. And you ask, where is this coming from? Why are all these kids suddenly bi or, or lesbian or transgender? I think some of the answer has to do with pornography. The fact is that kids' brains are wired with neuron receptors um, called mirror neurons. This, this enables kids to mirror or try to reflect behavior that they see around them. And that's a good thing. That's how they learn to walk. That's how they learn to talk. They're constantly watching, and they're mirroring what they watch. That's also true with what they watch on screens. Studies show that children less than eight years of age have difficulty differentiating what's going on in screens from real life. So kids are more likely to see something on a screen and think that they're seeing real life and not be able to tell the difference. For kids who are exposed to pornography at a young age, their sense of sexual normalcy is being shaped by increasingly obscene and disturbing forms of sex. So studies show that a large amount of pornography that is online that people are seeing is uh, same-sex or transgender or all varieties of, of, of obscene sexual behavior. And there's little question that that must be affecting them in what they think is normal or not. I mean, if 70% of boys report seeing same-sex pornography in adolescence, how is that going to affect their views on same-sex relationships? They're used to watching on the screen, so they're going to think it's okay. 55% of girls in 2008 reported seeing same-sex pornography in adolescence. What's that going to do to their views? Since they've been watching it for childhood, they're more likely to think that it's okay. A for, uh, another aspect of uh, the impact pornography is having on teens is the rise of erectile dysfunction. Since the 1940s, uh, studies have been tracking uh, erectile dysfunction, or ED, and the rates have been relatively stable until 2006. In 2006, those numbers began to skyrocket. Today, 37% of the American population of men under 40 report erectile dysfunction, and that's up from 3% before 2006. So 3% to between 36 and 40%. That's just a, a rapid... A shift that's only explainable in terms of the effect that online pornography is having on men. And online chat rooms are full of anguished stories of teenagers who are having their first real-life sexual encounter with a woman, and they are unable physically to have sex. This is the first time in history that this phenomenon has happened. Uh, and what else can you call it but God's, the judgment of God? The fact is that uh, they are unable to have sexual intercourse apart from watching pornography. Their brains have been so rewired uh, by pornography that it has to be something stronger, more obscene, which is just horrific. Another effect of pornography is the rise of inter interpersonal violence. Uh, there's little doubt that being exposed to violent pornography leads to violence in relationships and expectations. Claire and I were having breakfast with a Roman Catholic couple who asked us, are you seeing people you counsel uh, struggling with like choking in their dating relationships? And we said, what? And they said, yeah, like the, the girls that we're, we're talking to are saying their boyfriends are, are choking them. And 
we looked at each other and we're like, oh my goodness, it's the pornography. Like, why would, why would, why would someone think to do something like that other than watching it online and then that shaping your behavior? Uh, there's a rise of sexual violence uh, between children. Ben Wright mentioned that. And it's kids who are watching porn and they're acting out what they're watching on other children. Finally, there's also a rise of anxiety and depression. This has been mentioned, but just this massive rise in anxiety and depression among this younger generation. One writer concludes, the bottom line is this. Given what we know porn does to the brain, given what we know that younger, the younger the brain is, the more plastic it is, it is a near certainty that whatever porn addiction does to adults, it's going to do to minors, except worse. This is something we must conclude simply from knowing about the basic facts of human neurobiology without taking into account any negative psychological effects of exposure of children to hardcore pornography. There's little doubt that the rise of anxiety and depression we're seeing with the younger ages is related to the early exposure to pornography. So what can we do? All this leads to that question, how can we help? How should we respond? And here I just want to encourage you with some of the things that Ben Wright shared, because I think he is just spot on. And what I want to encourage you in particularly is that responding to your children's pornography use and responding to their sexual sin might be the greatest opportunity that you have in your life to model God's love to your children. I don't think there's anything in their life that has the potential to be of greater significance for their spiritual walk than the moment when you catch them or they confess and your response in that moment. I just cannot say that enough. I've counseled so many young men who've had a significant breakthrough at that point. I'll share about one young man named James. He grew up in a Christian home. He went to church regularly. He was seen as a good kid, but he said, I was dead inside. I was first exposed to sexual images in seventh grade. I got an iPod touch and made an Instagram account. A friend was liking a lot of pictures of girls in bikinis. All that showed up on my feed. That was my first exposure. At the same time, I was watching a lot of YouTube. This had an escalating effect. There's a lot of inappropriate content on there that started luring me in. It was not a big leap to go from watching YouTube hours and hours on end to watching hours and hours of pornography. I would binge YouTube all night on my iPod Touch without sleep, and that became the pattern for porn use that persists to this day. The YouTube videos weren't necessarily pornographic, but they were stoking my appetite. This went on for, for quite a long time in his life until he, he was in high school and some of his sexual sin came to light. His dad printed out text messages that he had been sending that were inappropriate, brought them to him, sat down and said, what's going on? This doesn't seem to be the man you want to be. He broke down, crying, ashamed, guilty. He said, that conversation is the closest thing I've ever had to a conversation with God. The love and kindness he showed me in that moment was unlike anything. Despite all the evil I had done in his house with things he bought for me, he still loved me. It was one of the first times I was doing something they couldn't be proud of, and yet they loved me. It's the greatest example in my life, working through someone else, of God working through someone else to love me. And it meant all the more that it was coming from my dad. It probably saved my faith. 
as dark as these things are, as hard as they are to avoid, as steep as the obstacles that you have to face in trying to protect your kids online, the fact is there will in all likelihood be sin. And like Ben Wright said, if they graduate and go off to college and you never have a conversation with them about sexual sin, it's probably not because it didn't happen. How you respond to them in that moment has the potential to be one of the greatest examples in their life of someone modeling God's love to them. God loved us while we were still sinners, so much that he sent his son to die for us. You think of the the father of the prodigal son. When he comes back ashamed, he's ready to bear the judgment. The father comes to him. He bears the reproach. He clothes the son in his love. Pray for that heart that's believing the gospel, that's trusting in the gospel, so that when you're in that moment, you can model God's love, the love that he showed you and the love that he will give you to love your children. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us in Christ, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive together with Christ. And we pray that that same love would so fill us that when we encounter what's so frightening and scary, and Lord, we confess our greatest fear, that we would respond with your love. Give us grace toward that end, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.